0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in Western Wisconsin, outside of Ellsworth. And you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening to the table. So I want to invite you to get your Bibles out and turn to Matthew uh, chapter six. And if you're getting sick of Matthew chapter 6, it's okay, because we only really have this weekend and a little bit next week. Uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, and we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. And so what I want to encourage you to do, uh, pull it up on your Bible, um, get, the, get the Bible app from your app store. You just search Bible, and it's the YouVersion Bible app. Now, you can use any. It doesn't really matter. That one's just a really good one. And it doesn't have weird ads and try and try and steal things from you. So, uh, the Bible app, Uversion Bible apps, great. Tons of translations. If you're like me, you can listen to Scripture when you're doing uh, when you're washing the dishes or even while you're reading. Sometimes it really helps to hear and to read uh, in in your minds. Believe it or not, most Christians through the history of the church uh, didn't read the Word by themselves. They actually heard it read. Uh, this is, these are works. This is um, God's word that's meant, um, it's meant to be shared that way, to, to hear it. So listening to the Bible is actually a really great way to do it. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, but let's uh, pray together that God would prepare our hearts. Uh, so Lord, open our hearts uh, to hear your word. Let the things that are valuable that we see in scripture and that I say today, Lord, stick, and let the things uh, that are not uh, float right away. God, help us uh, to hear your voice this morning as we open your word and let it shape us and transform us. In your name, amen. 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 All right, Bible's ready. Matthew 6. Um, today we're, we're talking, we're going through the Lord's Prayer, and this is always, as someone who leads the Lord's Prayer a lot, um, this is the part that it took me a long time uh, as a pastor, to be able to say this without without laughing sometimes, because uh, this is the part with the with the sins or the trespasses or or the debts, um, and it always cracks me up because you're always waiting to hear, and people are waiting for me, and I used to wait to hear what other people would say, and sometimes it would just stop. I'd be like, "And forgive us our," and then everybody's like looking like, "Oh." Uh, sins, debts, trespasses. It was funny to me. So today, uh, in our translation in Matthew, Matthew uses the word debts. Uh, Luke, if you're wondering, Luke uses the word sins. Uh, and in early English Bibles, um, uh, for kind of uh, interesting reasons, the, some of the earliest English Bibles translated debts as trespasses. And so that's where you've heard trespasses before. Um, <clears throat> but that's kind of the, where that comes from. So we're going to look at today what it means to be in debt. Um, so this is going to be super fun. So raise your hand or or say Amen online if you've ever been in debt before. I'm judging here. No. So okay. So so in in this room at least it's it's pretty much everybody. Not to out anyone. Um, uh, so <clears throat> I don't know about you, but in my life uh, over the last uh, like probably like 15 or 20 years, um, debt has, has actually loomed large for me. If you've ever had a large debt and you're unsure how you're going to pay that debt, it, it's difficult, uh, it's, it's hard to live your life. And, and so I'll share um, one of the most challenging moments when Aaron and I, my wife Aaron and I, first got married happened like nine months after we got married. We graduated from college. And, and about nine months later... We started getting phone calls on our cell phones, both of our cell phones, uh, from, from really sketchy sounding people. And they would call and they would say, hey, Mr. Speaker, hey, Mrs. Speaker, um, <clears throat> I need to talk to you. Call me back right away. And, and we just kind of ignored them, okay? Just silence and said, you know, these scammers, they keep, they keep calling. Um, well, we figured out eventually when we finally answered the phone and they didn't give up calling that the the people that I thought were scammers were a a legal kind of of scammer called debt collectors. Um, uh, Because it turns out that when we graduated college, though I was still a student, uh, my wife wasn't. And her student loan debts, uh, after six months from graduation, start requiring regular payments. If you've ever had uh, debts, you know how this this works. Um, However, we... um, for reasons that are like two parts ignorance and, and two parts willful ignorance didn't uh, weren't aware of those, and we hadn't been making payments we hadn't heard about them, and they'd actually passed a lot of uh, of her student loan debts onto collections and and i 'll tell you this was the first <clears throat> really really big fight that we had after we got married because We were arguing about this, and and you hear these numbers, and they're like, you know, if you don't pay us whatever the amount is, by the end of the week, we're going to, like, call the police. You know, they're really, really kind of scary people back then they were. And and I can still feel what it felt like to be starting our life out and thinking, we are never going to make it. You know, we were, like, part-time youth pastors in a city that neither of us had ever lived in, and... And, and we just, I just, I blew up. And I, I remember, I, I walked, I knew I needed to leave. I just walked out of the apartment and, and took a walk. I've never left a, a disagreement like that before. But I, I didn't know what to do. And I don't think I've ever felt quite like that since. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and if you've ever been in that situation before, if you've ever had a debt collector call you or not known what you're going to do about something like that, it is terrifying. Like you feel trapped and the solution seems impossible. It makes you angry and hopeless. I felt like as we were starting our married life together that we were just starting off like without, without a chance. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know how we were going to make payments and, and I knew it would be a long time before we wouldn't be thinking about that moment, again, it was hard for us to imagine how we would ever have kids or, or a house or, or be able to start a real life together. And, and looking back at our, at our debt problem in, in those days, you know like 2009, our, our problem was small. You know If you know the story of the 2008 crash, you know people were losing their homes and getting sent out onto the street. like our problem was, was teeny teeny tiny, but no matter how big or small uh, a debt is, it has a way of just trapping you in and making you feel hopeless. It can dominate your thoughts. It can change your life, and it it shaped uh, the first years of our marriage, I'll be honest. Um, Debt uh, can do that to you, and it does it in our relationships, too. Right? Uh, when someone uh, does something to me, or when I let someone down, I want to make it up to them, to heal the relationship, to bring it back together. I want to balance the ledger. I have I have friends that if you loan them, and, and they're great people, you loan them any amount of money, like they are going to send it to you, like the very first possible second that they can get that back to you, because they want to be square, they want to be even. We all have other kinds of friends that you're never seeing that twenty dollars again, though, right? Um, <clears throat> some marriages are like this, uh, everybody, uh, both partners are, are, always trying to balance the ledger, right? Have I done more? Have you done more? Um, everyone has that friend that no matter how many times, like, somebody else covered the meal when you guys got together, like, they want to make sure that those appetizers don't go on their bill because they didn't eat any of the appetizers. No, no, that's, that's probably me. That's probably why I'm that friend. Um, no, it's funny, like, no doubt, um, <clears throat> we all owe something to, to someone. Maybe it's money, maybe it's time, uh, but there's probably someone out there that feels like you did something to accrue a debt for them. Maybe it was a fight you had, an unresolved dispute or an unthinking comment, but as far as you know and as far as I know, we're all probably red on somebody else's ledger, right? There's at least somebody. It's, it's debt. And this is such a big deal, this is such a prevalent human problem that um, most, um, most ancient religions talk about debt and what the fair way is to handle debt. In, in Jesus' day, uh, his disciples had, uh, had issues about debt too, so much so that one of the chief analogies that Jesus chooses to use for our relationship with God is that, that analogy of, of debt, And and we talk about about sin, but Jesus knew that the easiest way to explain to the human beings he was with uh, what it means to sin is is to use that language. What does it mean to owe somebody? And so when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray in in Matthew, um, he spends a lot of time, he spends some time talking about debt. And when he does, he's actually connecting himself to a very old hope In the Bible, because the the problem of debt is is everywhere in Scripture. Uh, There are tons of stories of how debt obligations shape families, relationships, and God's people in profound ways. Interestingly enough, you know, the the reason that Israel wound up in slavery started with debt. They needed food, and to get food, they sold themselves out to the Egyptians. Uh, So uh, it's all over scripture. Um, and after uh, God saved uh, his people from slavery in Egypt, uh, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, God was afraid that his freed slaves, that ancient Israel would would become slaves again. If you read the Old Testament law, you can tell um, again and again, one of the things that God is trying to save his people from is becoming slaves again. Not, not out of a malice that someone was going to come after them, but, but just kind of out of reality. Um, and so one of the things that God did to prevent that from happening is when they took the promised land over, every family uh, that they called tribes got a different portion of the land to divide up in their kind of family clan. And so they would have uh, land to farm and raise livestock and survive. But if you know any farmers or if you've been a farmer you know that with farming, uh, things happen. Um, bad things happen, and they happen, um, I didn't realize this until I moved here, but like all the time, right? Pipes freeze, and rains come wrong, and storms destroy crops, and all this stuff. You know, So, uh, so this happened in Israel too. Um, whether it was droughts, or bad weather, or sometimes bad business decisions, um, one family in Israel would wind up needing help. They'd wind up not having enough on their own land to survive the year, and so they would do what many of us do when there aren't things like crop insurance and, 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 and somebody to come in and save the day. They, they took out loans from each other. They went into each other's, each other's debt because you want to survive? Please you know provide for me. And so sometimes they would, uh, they'd become... You know, they, they take out a loan from somebody else that they'd have to pay back, or, or, or other times they might sell a little bit of their land to get through this year. And then, um, but the problem is that when you do that, when you go into debt, when you sell a little bit of your land, your, your earning potential goes down, your ability to feed your family uh, decreases. And if you, <clears throat> you know, if you get hit with a drought and a bad decision and an accident, uh, you know, a few years in a row, You might actually have to sell everything to survive. You know, your your family wants to live, and so what you'd do in the ancient world is you'd say, hey, neighbor, will you buy my farm? We'll keep working it on your behalf if you you provide us what we need, and maybe things would get a little bit worse, and you might actually say, hey, neighbor, um, we're really struggling here. We owe other people, and you own our land. The only thing we have left to sell is ourselves, and so they would, because if, if your choice is to uh, sell yourself into slavery for someone else or to uh, see your family die, what well, do you choose, right? Of course, so, that, so you would become, uh, you'd become a slave. And in, in ancient Israel, um, this happened, because it happened all over the ancient world. You know, over time, uh, just like, um, you know, every economic system in ours today, over time, like, some people lose their property and their selves and their freedom, and other people scoop it up. And so the, you know, one farm would get bigger because things were going good for them. They're buying up everybody's land, and other uh, families are struggling. And so over time, what would happen is that God's people would find themselves living in the promised land as God's people as, as slaves, again, to their neighbors, and God says, you know, the whole point of bringing you out of Egypt and the plagues and Moses and all this amazing stuff is so that you guys would be free to be my servant, to be God's servant in, in this land. But, but debt has this way of trapping us, doesn't it? it? It grabs onto us. It holds us down. It makes it more and more difficult to, to, to get out of. Because if, if I owe, and in communities it, it's even worse, right? If I owe, if I owe you money... Maybe somebody else owes me something, and, and maybe you owe them, and, and until you pay them back, they can't pay me back, and I can't pay you back. And next thing you know, uh, we're, we're all slaves to one another, trapped, waiting for someone to make that, that debt right, to make up for it. And so God didn't want this to happen. He didn't want us to wind up slaves to each other. He didn't want his people to wind up slaves to each other. And so he made a law uh, to make sure this wouldn't happen. Uh, it's really cool. It's got a, a funny name. He called, it, he called it Jubilee. Can you guys say Jubilee? Jubilee. So, so uh, God said, okay, um, I'm going to create this law, and I'm going to call it Jubilee. And you can type it in the comments. It's J-U-B-I-L-E-E, Jubilee. Uh, and the idea was this, this radical idea. Um, and we're not even totally sure that it, how it worked out in practice, but this was God's attempt to prevent this problem from happening. He said, okay, so every seven years in Israel, uh, the whole nation needed to forgive the debts of everyone that owed everyone else, okay? And so you would make your loans this way because you knew it was coming He'd say, okay, well, in seven years, no matter how in the hole you are, no matter how in the red you are, no matter how many people you owe, uh, it's done. We're wiping the slate clean. Uh, and in addition to that, um, you know, the land would take a year to rest, um, and, and in addition to that, so every seven years, your debts are forgiven, uh, but every uh, and, and all the slaves are set free too. So if you sold yourself into slavery to make it another couple of years, you're set free after seven years. Uh, and every seven times seven years, so, so every seven years, you'd have this year of jubilee or this, uh, this jubilee that would set you free from debt and slavery. And if you um, were around, every seven times seven, so every seven cycles, um, all of they did this huge year of jubilee, uh, sometimes called the, the Year of the Lord's Favor, and it would be this massive reset. Uh, all of Israel would go back to its original um, boundaries of land ownership. This is radical. So if you had, you know, your family did really well and you were able to buy up for just your clan like two or three other tribe space and you guys were really making it. And if your tribe either made some bad decisions or had a lot of trouble or whatever and you had lost and sold away all your land, if you could make it seven times seven years, uh, we'd go back to normal. They'd reset back to the boundaries that God had originally drawn because he wanted to make sure that they would never become slaves. And, and like I said, we don't know um, if Israel ever did this because they had such a hard time following God's law <laughs> that it's, we don't have a lot of evidence to see what this looked like in practice, but this was, this was the intent. In uh, and the, and the Hebrew Bible, uh, holds on to this idea. It, it shapes the prophets. It shapes the whole Old Testament. In fact, uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he points to a year of jubilee. He says a year is coming, a, a jubilee is coming, and he calls it the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, but his jubilee is even bigger than the seven times seven jubilee. His is a jubilee for the whole world. Uh, He says, he writes this, he says uh, in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah said, a day is coming where God is going to deal with this problem in a bigger way than a nation's law, but for the whole world. Uh, Isaiah looks forward to a worldwide jubilee, and the Old Testament carries with us this hope that God is is going to to bring this thing. Um, When uh, the debt and the pain and the destruction of human life will stop And everything will be cleared uh, and made right. A cancellation of debt, but also, um, you know, a a day of of vengeance for the Lord. Uh, uh, Isaiah actually predicts that this will end with every nation on earth springing up and praising uh, the Lord who can do such things. And so for many years after Isaiah wrote uh, these words, after um, the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to write these words of scripture, For many years, this seemed like a, a really nice fantasy. Like, kind of, oh, what a cool idea, God will fix it. You know, a little bit pie in the sky for many years, it didn't happen. And things actually got worse in Israel, they maybe even got worse in the whole world. Uh, Except one time, uh, when Jesus came to earth, right before he began uh, his work and his ministry, the first thing he does uh, in the synagogue is he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He reads Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so if you want to understand why Jesus came to earth and how he understood what he was doing on earth, you, you, you can get a really good picture right here in Isaiah 61. Jesus says, I am here, and the year, the worldwide jubilee is beginning, and so as Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or, or what he came to earth to do, it's, it's this, it's, it's jubilee, the forgiveness of debt, the setting free of the prisoner, and the binding up of the brokenhearted. And so when Jesus teaches his kingdom people how to pray, his, his jubilee people, uh, he he prays this prayer, and, and I'm going to invite you to say it, say it with me. If you're at home or, or online uh, or in here, um, I'll, put it up on the, I'll put it up on the screen, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Uh, let's read it aloud, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll know if you're not reading it on your computer. I don't know how. Someone will tell me. Um, let's, let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, uh, right as we've been so far, we say we call God Father uh, because he loves us. We call God holy because he's different from us. We invite him to bring his kingdom, his rule uh, on earth just like it is in heaven. Uh, We ask him to provide for us and sustain our lives. And finally, uh, well, not finally, but, but right here we say, and Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others. This is its it's jubilee. Forgive as you've forgiven. And and if you know the Gospels, you know that Jesus told tons of stories about debt, about people who owed other people. Uh, One, uh, he talked about uh, what happened to a man who, even though he was forgiven an enormous debt, he couldn't let go of the small debt that somebody else owed him. Uh, He he talked about a generous employer who paid a full day's wage to the guy that showed up at 6 a.m. ready to work and the guy who stepped in the door 10 minutes till quitting time. Uh, One time, Jesus told a story about two brothers who were so abundantly loved by their father, even though one of them was kind of a failure and a screw-up. Jesus talked about this idea, this forgiveness, this debt all the time. And if you read those stories, in many of them, uh, it shows what jubilee looks like, what forgiveness looks like, and how sometimes jubilee feels like relief to us. To those of us who feel like, who are aware of the large balance we've run up, those of us that have heard the debt collectors on the other side of the phone, um, they react to forgiveness in one way, and those who feel owed those who feel like they're in the green, those who feel like they're doing a pretty good job here on earth, uh, it drives them crazy. And Jesus tells these stories to expose this, this difference. Uh, you see, there are two sides to forgiveness, according to Jesus. Jubilee uh, is, is like a bomb. It touches, it touches everyone. It impacts everyone. Uh, and the two sides are this, that we all owe If we're going to admit that Jesus came to forgive our debts, we've got to admit that we owe them. And then on the other side is we can admit that we are all owed something by others. And this was so important to Jesus that he made sure to put it right here in the middle of the prayer and, and interestingly enough, he comes back to it after the prayer. He says, hey, by the way, if you can't handle that forgiveness thing, uh, it's going to be really hard for God to forgive you. Because according to Jesus, we, what we owe, our balance, our in the red, is so much greater than what we could possibly be owed by someone else. And until we're able to admit our own debt, we can't be let off the hook and it's also impossible to forgive someone else's. In the same way, until we're willing to extend to others grace and forgiveness for the ways that they mess up or fail us or intentionally harm us, we'll never be able to receive forgiveness from others. God, one of my good friends in college used to say there's no good news without the bad news in, in the gospel. And, and the bad news is this, that while many of us, most of us would rather minimize, bury, or justify our sins towards God and other people, than own them, uh, that most of us are quite good at pointing out the hypocrisy and failures of others. Most of us are much better at seeing how our friends or loved ones or relatives or enemies are in the red than ourselves. While our whole world, our workplaces, our families are are broken and, and messed up, if we're honest, we can bring that to mind. If we're honest, we can all think of somebody that owes us that we're just not sure we can forgive. Uh, even in close families, right? This is, this is the bad news. This is reality. Even in close families, there is alienation. People either uh, feel like somebody owes them something something they did wrong. There's division along every conceivable line. There's hatred and spite tossed across every disagreement in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces. There's there's rampant selfishness. There's a desire, a drive to always put me and my own ahead of everyone else. We live in a world full of dysfunctional workplaces, chaotic families, and even angry and strife-filled churches. Things are broken and messed up, right? The value of life is disregarded in our culture and in our world. Children go hungry. Sometimes uh, our world is exploited and mismanaged and poisoned. We can see the debt all around us turn on the TV. And if you're anything like me, every time we see the sin and the pain and the difficulty in the world, there is always someone else to blame for that, isn't there? There's always a daughter-in-law who doesn't call enough or a co-worker who doesn't work hard enough or a stranger that doesn't make the choices that I would make or a leader who makes a bad decision or a follower who can't live up to their call or, or a political party who whatever, you fill in the blank. There's always someone to blame for that bill, isn't there? There is a debt and sin everywhere. Our credit card balances are out of control. We can't make the monthly payments And when we look around, it turns out no one went to Chipotle 300 times in the last two years. (laughs) But the truth is that all of us have sinned. All of us have accrued debt. All of us are in the red, and there is no payment plan. There is no excuse. There's no way of digging ourselves out of this mess. No matter how hard we pull on our own bootstraps, there is no escaping this burden, no matter how hard we try to avoid looking at it. My friends, that is the bad news. But the good news is this. That when Jesus walked the earth, when God's kingdom came into power on earth as it is in heaven, the king of the universe announced a year of jubilee. That by his death and resurrection, he paid our debts to God. That we can be forgiven them as we forgive what is owed to us. And all we have to do is quit pretending that someone stole our credit card and accept debt forgiveness towards ourselves and others. And that is the freedom of the gospel. That is the freedom of no longer having to owe God and no longer having to feel that you've got to collect the debts from others who owe you. That is freedom. We're invited to finally come out of hiding and say, uh, and, and answer that ringing phone with the debt collectors on the line, and say, yes, I failed. Yes, I hurt that person. Yes, I did the wrong thing. Yes, I didn't listen to what I should have done to own up to our debts, our sin, and our obligation, to quit pretending it's a scammer and own it. And then we can be forgiven. And maybe then we can do the same to those who wrong us, who hurt us and who fail us. Because as long as we see our sins as not a big deal, we'll never be able to forgive the things that others have done to us. This is our, our chance. This is our invitation to be honest. And every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we, we do it again and again and again. We say, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our individual sin, our collective sin, our generational sin, our original sin. We name it and we say, this is wrong, this is bad, this is destructive, this is sin. And we say, Lord, forgive us, may we forgive others. And so in a moment, after we hear the song, and I'll invite the worship team to come forward, we're going we're gonna to hear, we're going to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus because that is who covers our debts and pays our price. And so we're going to sing uh, that song together, and then we're going to come to the table set free from our debts. And you'll notice that when we practice the Lord's Supper, we we make mention of our debt, our sin, and our failure. So I want to invite you, make sure you've got your elements ready. I want to invite you to embrace the good news that though our balances are high, we have a God who forgives us. Amen? Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in person services at bethelcove.org. Thanks and have a great week.